Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. There's nothing quite like a good old-fashioned GA pitch invasion outlawed in Dublin because of the clear and obvious health and safety risks, but still all the rage down the country, especially when a county has had to wait a long time to taste some success. Hope you enjoyed that packed sporting weekend. Owen Murphy and Ken with you for Monday's Second Capital Podcast. Hello there, Owen. Hi, Owen. Are you? Hi there, guys. In the case of Cork Hurling, that wait has only been three years, but you wouldn't know it as the final whistle blew and demented Cork supporters streamed onto the pitch. Mm. Cornerback Colin Spillane greeting one of the early arrivals with a manic flying chest bump. Yeah, like a, an American footballer celebrating a touchdown. Yeah, you know it's a big day when a player will happily crash into a lad wearing a wearing a red sombrero. <laughs> it wasn't that guy, by the way. I know what you're all thinking. It wasn't that guy. No, that it was a smaller sombrero, sombrero another, as well, yeah. You've got to play the long game guy. here too, though, if you're a pitch invader, that is. I've been studying the pitch invasions closely over the weekend. Sombrero Man got one moment of joyous interaction with one of his heroes yeah. there, yeah. But the wilier operators out there know that it's better to take your time with these things, stake out the optimum position, usually near the stand where the trophy presentation takes place because mm-hmm. everybody has to stream past you in that case. And one gentleman in particular got great field position. Cameras caught him getting his mitts on the manager, Kieran Kingston, star forward Alan Cadigan. I'd say he might have got his hands on the entire team by the time. They got, it was not this fella's first pitch invasion, but no. anyway. No, it wasn't his first, uh, his first rodeo. Over in Galway, meanwhile. Mm. Now, this is a proper pitch invasion in the sense of invading your enemy's turf. Well, there was, there was, uh, there was joy them. in the, the mm. Cork pitch invasion, but there was a whole other level of manic. I'm not going to say aggression, but it was, it was manic, certainly. I'm looking at a screen grab I took yesterday of a bunch of delirious Rossies running on to celebrate their first Connacht title since 2010. Mostly the ages range from about 7 or 8 to 10 or 11. Is the exact same uh, screen grab that I took and put out on Twitter yesterday? Oh, I did the same thing. Could well be the same. So well, basically, You know what? I don't can I actually... See, can I see it? I haven't seen it. I haven't got it on me here. Can we just follow... At home, I have it there on Twitter. Yeah. You'll see the most recent tweet, or maybe a couple of tweets ago. So the ages range from you know seven, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ah, yeah, it's that the same fella. Yeah, yeah, it's the same fella. There's yeah. one man <laughs> bringing up the median age all by himself, a fully grown adult in the middle of all those kids, yeah. mouth agog, arms outstretched, phone above his head, in quite a deliberately upright position. I think he was probably filming. Well, I don't know about moment. that. Uh, no? Well, maybe. Yeah, see, see, but it's very carefully sort of placed directly. Yeah. Above him. It looks as though he might. This, this is a thinking man's pitch invader. Yeah. 
He's not going home for the week. Yeah. Do you won't see that lad for dust this week? It's a, uh, it's, it's uh, he's a hell of a guy. You see the guy I'm talking about here. They even made a big song and dance yeah. about him on the Sunday game last night. Already, the only adult in this, in yeah. this pitch invasion. Yeah. Well, listen. I mean, you got to love the man's uh, irrepressible enthusiasm. I suppose he must be the coach of this team. This is obviously a team of some kind, right? No. Like most of the kids are wearing the same outfit. No, no. The kids at the back maybe might be the uh, some of the coming to month school uh, performers, but no, he's gotten into. He's you know he's just loving life. Yeah. He is uh, like the rain is not having any impact on that lad's day. He's. I mean, the phone is probably destroyed. <laughs> I mean, there's an excellent chance that phone is you know beyond what? beyond saving. My phone survived a, a leap into a swimming pool. Did it? Yeah. What are you doing leaping into a swimming pool? I was on holidays. Bit of irrepressible enthusiasm as well, I would have thought. Well, I leapt leapt into the swimming pool with irrepressible enthusiasm, and a couple of seconds later, I realized my phone was in the pocket of my swimming togs and leaped out of the swimming pool. (laughs) No. Mm. And uh, uh, incredibly, it survives to this day undamaged. Wow. So uh, That is quite something. So uh, miracles do happen. Murph, you can't begrudge the Rossies, or can you? What an interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you can't begrudge the Rossies. Uh, Owen, uh, fully merited victory. Uh, they deserved to win by, well, they won by nine. They deserved to win by about 15, I would have thought. Um, there was a spell in the second quarter when uh, they appeared convinced to allow Galway a chance to win the game. Uh, Galway played for about 10 minutes at the start of the second half, uh, which led me to think that maybe Galway might be able to pull it out of the bag. But to be honest, Roscommon were so much better. I mean, all over the field, so much better. Uh, Enda Smith, who I would say, if he was from Dublin, would be a wing forward. I mean, basically, Galway got cleaned out at midfield by a sort of Paul Flynn, Jermyn Connolly type, and I mean that in the most complimentary fashion possible. A runner. Yeah, like a, a, a runner, a guy who's An athlete. very good under the high ball, but, I mean, is a wing forward. And he completely lorded it. Over, uh, like, Goldway played three midfielders Tom Flynn, Fintan O'Currine, Paul Conroy. Two of them are six foot five. Paul Conroy is about six foot three, I'd say. And then kept trying to kick the ball short yeah. from goal kicks. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. It was weird, you know, like the Rory Lavelle, the goal goalkeeper. I mean, I, I think a lot of people probably thought that at, at some stage a mistake could happen that might cost Goldway. I don't think anyone thought that it was going to be against Roscommon in the Connacht final. But it's, it's just, it's weird to see. Like the, the, it's such a pressurized uh, uh, position now on the field uh, that the need to radiate calm is actually part of the job also. And at no stage did Rory Lavelle look like he was calm and in control of what he wanted to do with kickouts. I mean, I think that as you're running out to the to the tee with ball in hand, you should have an idea that it's either going to be a short kickout or it's not. And if you decide the short kickout isn't on, take a take a moment take seven steps back and welly it. But at no, I, he, at, at no stage did he seem comfortable in his surroundings, comfortable enough to say, okay, the short kickout isn't on. Okay, where's Tom Flint? Let's put it out under him. Let's see if he can catch the ball. And if he's doing everything rushed, immediately the full back line is thinking, well, it's not on, but that doesn't mean that he's not going to kick it out to me. And that level of stress goes through a team like wildfire. They did. They look like a stressed out team. They yes, really did, so and com- like com- compare. And when Roscommon missed, it, left a few behind them themselves, but yeah. by and large, played well, they, with a bit, of, bit of composure. Yeah, they look complacent for the first ten minutes, and unbelievably stressed and angry and off kilter for the rest of the game. And you know that's it's hugely disappointing from a goal goal point of view because 
it's, you know, again, it's similar to the Tipperary defeat last year. It's two steps forward and then at least two, probably three steps back. But you're not begrudging the Rossies. Let's just be Again, not begrudging the Rossies. Did you see they were tweeting photographs of Roscommon Town last night at 10 o'clock and everyone going completely mental and sure see. it's great to see you we'll be talking hurling with Owen Kelly and Michael Dignan today Cork's Munster title and Waterford's first championship win over Kilkenny since 1959 and we'll probably ask Michael about his Sunday game appearance last night where he reopened this thorny old debate to me the biggest disgrace of the weekend was on Saturday evening that that Waterford Kilkenny match wasn't shown on free to air in this country I think the Sky Deal is so wrong on so many levels. And it's not because I'm in RTE working for the Sunday game. My parents are at home. My father's 83 years of age, a savage hurling man. Why should he have to go to a pub? He doesn't go to the pub to watch a match. And there's people, decent, ordinary people that I call well, did, them. Did, you, did GA say they have to maximise the money they can get? They have enough in... money. There's enough money in the GA. How much money do you want? What about the people that support the game all their lives? They can't watch it. I think it's disgraceful. Before we move on with the show, can we put something to bed around the drawn Lions match yesterday? This has been bugging me all weekend. Okay, Saturday. come on. Saturday morning. Saturday, I should say. Yeah, it's the kissing your sister analogy. <sighs> Graeme Simmons brought this up with Sam Warburton after the game, drawing a match. They called kissing your sister for a very good reason. Sam, Steve Hansen then went in with the same analogy off his own bat, and Warren Gatland repeated it in his press conference. Rugby people, listen up and listen good. Drawing a match should make you feel ambivalent, not top of the world, but not too bad either. Mm. I don't want to tell you how kissing your sister should make you feel, but come on. Drawing a match, not equal to kissing your sister. Leave this analogy behind. I went to see the Pixies last night on. Probably about half their songs are about kissing your sister. (laughs) Uh, Confusing (laughs) range of emotions. Uh, So I'm I'm not sure exactly what he meant to suggest by that. Lions chat with Shane Horgan coming up a little bit later on. Owen Kelly and Michael Dignan are in to salute Cork and administer the last rites to Kilkenny Hurling. Hi, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot on the agenda this morning. There is indeed. (laughs) Owen, how are you? Man, how are you going? Uh, good, good, good. We'll get to Kilkenny, but we'll start with Cork yesterday, Michael, who are the real deal, I guess. It's, it's, it's been a meteoric rise this season, but they looked apart yesterday. Yeah, it's been huge. I don't think there was probably as impressive yesterday as they have been in the previous two games, but uh, um, still to win a Munster Championship, you know, after where they were last year, I think it's been a massive year for them, a uh, massive turnaround uh, with you know the young players that as I um, I was saying last night in the Sunday game like to, five new lads to come in and to make such an impact over the three matches like they hadn't they didn't all play brilliantly all the time but they did make massive contributions throughout the season um, with Mark Coleman I suppose Darryl Fitzgibbon being the, the two real highlights of that five but um, yeah massive change uh, I suppose which has been facilitated over the last six or seven years with, with Underage where they really went back to their grassroots uh, there's been so many issues with Cork Hurling over the, over the years since four and five with strikes and with you know, with a lot of issue, a lot of problems with between players and county boards and everything else. But somebody made a call somewhere to say, right, let's go back to our development squads, let's get things in order. Uh, Durham Russell was very involved in that process, was very involved with the trend, along with plenty of other ex players. I think the UCC element, uh, you know, this year, I think there's 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 a huge number of lads going through UCC and and Sean Ogan, Tom Kenny involved there with refreshers. So they've really. They've got key people involved along the way with their young players and they've really brought the spark back in. And Kieran Kingston deserves huge credit, I think, for sticking with his programme and bringing in people around him. Pat Hartnett, you know, very successful guy in his own right, very passionate, tough man. Gary Keegan is another Gary one. Keegan, Gary Keegan's yeah. the... The performance, yeah. Institute of Irish Sport. He was the guy who put in the boxing uh, high performance. Boxing, yeah, really, yeah. really. Yeah. Got, so that, that's an interesting sort of left field appointment. Yeah, and I think... I think you can maybe see that. I, 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 what I've seen is their last 15, 20 minutes have been their best period. The last 10 minutes, like against Tip, there was 
there was a point in it maybe with 10 to go. Again, Claire came back strong at him yesterday, but they pulled away again. So maybe that's what part of his working on. Also, maybe his overall uh, knowledge of sport and of fitness and boxing. I remember talking to Billy Walsh a few years ago one day, at a, at a, and he said, GA players think they train hard. He says, they don't know anything about training. He says, boxers train three times a day harder than ever train. So he was on about burnout and all this. He said, the level that they're at. So I think all that sort of expertise and, and uh, bringing that into a setup is, is fantastic. And that's the type of person Kieran Kingston is a manager, a facilitator, and it's, it's been a brilliant year for them. Yeah, on, I mean, after Tipperary, we were waiting for, you know, the flakiness of a young team to come to the fore, and it just hasn't happened. You know, we, we thought maybe Waterford were primed to take them out in the semi-final on the back of such a brilliant performance against, against Tipperary, but they've just kept doing it. Like, it, it, as Michael says, not as good yesterday as they were against Tipperary or even maybe against Waterford, but they, they still did it. They still did the business, and it was still the young players that got the job done. Yeah, there was a lot riding on yesterday's game. You know, if they did lose the most final after beating Tipperary and Waterford, all their good work would have been, you know, there would have been no talk about it. But for me, they won two or three games in the league. Like So in comparison to 12 months ago when they won no game and just barely survived the relegation, you know, you could see that mentally they were getting that bit stronger. Um, you mentioned Gary Keegan there. I know he previously worked with Tipperary as well. So, you know, he probably knows uh, what GA players, the way they think. So he probably needed, you know, he knew he what to do with this. Cork team to get them mentally right but I think they've warmed the hearts of the Cork supporters with their physicality um, they have their skill they have their pace but it's their physicality and you know, by no means is this dirty but they're really putting in a couple of hits now and breaking tackles and you know Damien Cahillan's run like as I said to someone this morning if he had to score a pint there I nearly would have outclassed now it would be hard to outclass Kieran Carey's score in 96 but it just had that about it the biggest day of the year Munster final really just showing what they were about all day the drive the desire and you know it it ended up a score so it will, we'll, we'll see it on the TVs for, for the season to come hmm. and it'll really um, epitomise the change in Cork Hurling but mentally they're they're so strong and they're, they're a joy to watch and I can't wait to see them getting into Croke Park you'll have even more space in there and uh no, Kieran Kingston has managed the team brilliantly, and even to go back to the semi-final, his own son Shane wasn't playing great. He took him off, and you know Shane probably didn't have his best game yesterday, but he made one or two great runs through the heart of the clear defence and got one or two great scores. So, um, you know, Cork are enjoyable to watch, and uh, you know I love seeing him back uh, dying at the top table. Yeah, that run. Um, that you talk about there on that was uh, it reminded me a lot of and if p- p- people missed it I don't know where he picked up the ball Murph was quite deep in oh, his own Steve half Don. won it all won it in front of, uh, McG- of Shane O'Donnell yeah wasn't and it? Just, he, he just set off goal. and went yeah. on it reminded me of Roy Keane one of his great performances against Portugal at Lansdowne Road I don't remember that one uh, there were a couple of occasions that game where Keane just obviously thought right I have to just hold on to the ball here run, and it wasn't his game particularly running with the ball but a couple of times in that game remember he, he went on similar runs where it's just like pure force of will is going to get me by who I need to yeah. get by and then I'll, I'll, I'll do what needs to be done it was pretty I'll pace Shane, Shane O'Donnell and then mm. I'll pace David Reedy Shane O'Donnell gave up on him yeah, yeah. it's yeah. just like I can't, I can't yeah. keep up I don't, well, I, don't, well, I don't think there was much chance from putting it over the bar I think he nearly got a nosebleed <laughs> when he took past the halfway line but uh, it was it was some burst he only, and the tackle that went in on Aaron Cunningham and uh, Peter Duggan was going in along the end line the two of them were lifted over like you said and the ball broke to him and he looked up and for once, this wasn't the whole year. There wasn't that player just to take the hand pass off him because there were so many funnel back and he trusted himself. It was a brilliant, inspirational piece of play at that stage of the game. Yeah, and the point that Owen makes about Crow Park as well, I mean, Crow Park's really going to suit this core team. Yeah, and look, they're so adaptable. Um, to me, Conor Lehan wasn't fit yesterday. You know, he's, he's had that bad ankle injury and if you looked at the 
their puckouts have really centred around him in the first two matches where he's standing in the middle to create the space and he goes into it. Now, Clare did drop back to two wing forwards. We saw that last night. But even allowing for that, he wasn't motoring. And they just then adapted, just started going short and bypassing the Clare half-back line with all their defenders straight into the full forward line. And the bravery in there of Cadigan and Horgan to win their own ball, which you know maybe wouldn't have been the case in the past. The full, full forward line, maybe not supposed to do that, but Harnady's physicality in there as well. and all the, he, he had four wides that normally he'd score you know, as well. I know Tony Kelly had and Colin Galvin, but but I, I do think Crow Park, I said that, I think Galway and Cork, I've been talking about the two of them, you know, Galway against Wexford, didn't play brilliantly, but in Crow Park with the forwards to have, with the pace to have, you know, you mm. get that extra few yards and you get that break. And Tipperary forwards, I think, on as well. You know, if Tipperary can get back to Crow Park with that forward line they have, they know how to create the space, they know how to close it down the other end of the field and create that space for that grateful forward line. So it's just turning into one of those summers that we haven't had uh, for so long in Hurl. It's, to me, it's it's just fantastic. It's brilliant stuff. Yeah, yeah like on even, even on that, I suppose three weeks ago, we were talking how about all three of the last year's semi-finalists have been knocked out in the first round it looks like three of last year's semi-finalists will be back maybe in the semi-finals again so you know it's great like it's a great talking point this year the Hurling Championship because it's throwing up something different after every after every weekend and uh, you know people are just loving it at the minute yeah on about the Cork puck out uh, and you know they're, they're obviously they went back and forth in the Sunday game live and again last night Um about the rights and wrongs of basically conceding the the cork puck out to the, the to Cahillan more more often than not. I mean, I was watching it thinking, whatever about conceding the puck out and del- that ball being delivered rather than to the cork half forward line to the cork full forward line. Whatever about all of that, asking Shane O'Donnell to run forty or fifty yards every single time for Cork's puck out to try and get a, a hook or a block that he was never going to get on Damien Cahillan or the other or Spillane the other corner. I mean, yeah. I just couldn't understand it. I mean, I, I, we talk about it, a, a guy on Twitter was talking to me about it, that this is basically what Johan Cruyff was talking about when he was talking about total football. I get the other guys to do something they don't want to do. And asking Shane O'Donnell to do these 40, 50-yard shuttle runs 35 times in a game, I just thought it was complete lunacy. Like, whatever about yeah. conceding the puck out, don't have your best forward running around, like running two or three kilometres in a game for no reason. Yeah, well, look, when it got to that stage and they were going short to them, Caroline, they should have just went up, uh, manned up, you know what I mean? Just t- t- taking a man for the pocket. But I can see what Clare were at, and Donald Cusick was trying to identify Cork's least skillful player in the defence, which would be Damien Callan. He probably wouldn't have the hands of a Diomar O'Sullivan previously full-back or Conor Lehan or some of these guys, you know. But, um, you know, so they were hoping that maybe he wouldn't be as comfortable on the ball but you could see yesterday his confidence was sky high. He's one of the most improved defenders maybe in the country this year. So, you know, they should have manned up man for man for, for the short puck out. But for me, Anthony Nash, like against Tipperary, he went to the half-forward line with his puck out. Against Walford, he picked out midfield and the half-back line. And yesterday, early in the game, he was picking out the full forward line for Cork. So he's hit three different lines of the field in three different games. He's changed it up, so the man is just incredible. But yeah. I do agree with you. To answer your point, Claire should just went from man for man when they, they seen it wasn't. Yeah, and, and no, and maybe particularly when Lahan didn't look that fit, you know, yeah. on the other end of the field, that wasn't that risk from him, so you adapt. But I think uh, Anthony Nash's puck out, it was eight, there were eighty five percent successful yesterday. No, I know most of them are only going twenty or thirty yards, but it's still some stat in the game of hurling, you know. Well, that, it, yeah. And especially in the first ten minutes, Michael, like I couldn't believe it because he was nearly picking out the corner forward, and it was a it was a, a creating a score like so it was. Yeah, the. 
I don't know what to make it clearer now, really, because I think the argument about, you know, tactics and, you know, like this is what everyone says about Clare. If they just let the let go of the shackles and just have a cut off teams. I mean, like, I do appreciate that they're trying to uh, find a system of play that suits them. But I just felt like yesterday didn't t- it didn't really take any account of the opposition that they were playing. You know, that th- they were set up nearly to try and play Kilkenny from set from 10 years ago you know this idea that okay we don't have the size to compete with the team that we're up against so we need to you know we need to mix yeah. it up somehow it's like Cork are not a big physical team you know like Cork they hit hard but they're not you know Kilkenny from 2007-2008 they're a totally different team Clare actually had they had the size they had the speed they had the skill to go toe-to-toe with Cork in a way that if Clare were playing Galway yesterday I'd be inclined to say well, they were right to play it the way they played. But just yesterday, it didn't seem to make any sense. Yeah, I, I think it probably worked uh, to an extent to put um, Carl Malone on Mark Coleman. And he did in the first half, uh, did a good job, kept him out of the game, was on the ball a lot, hit the cross, uh, post himself with a chance of a goal. He was getting back and closing that space. John Conlon was doing the same on the other side. You saw him intercepting a puck out there as well. So I think to an extent, what they started with worked. But Cork, it was like, like as if Cork were expecting that. And then they said, right, we'll go to plan B now. And then Clare didn't have a plan B. It was sort of that's the way they had sort of planned the game would work out, mm. and it didn't work out that way. And then, and, and hurling is spontaneous as well. And I've made this point many times over the last few years, uh, and sometimes you're proven wrong on, on a particular day, like Waterford tied the Burke had savage game as as the sweeper the other night. We'll come to that, but to me, a defender's job is to, you have to trust your defence. And I think you saw Cork. This, I think that's been the biggest one of the biggest things. They said, look, your backs, you have to mark your men. And Cork weren't doing that last year or the year before. They were standing way off. This year, they're doing the basics of defender tight. Uh, Dahi Regan calls it touch tight uh, and they are they're in the face they're up there and they're making it difficult and you're not going to win every ball at that level but you have to be there but if, uh, ultimately if you if you withdraw those men I think you can't win now having said that about Clare yesterday they had those few goal chances Tony Kelly scored four from play he could have scored eight from play Colin Galvin hit a few very bad wides at crucial stages now I know Harney did later on but I think the Clare wides they hit five in about three minutes at a crucial stage in the second half so it, hurling is a fine line. You know, they could have got themselves back into that game and could have kicked on, and and they didn't. And now they get a lot of criticism for for the things they didn't do right. But it's a fine line. Like with ten minutes to go, they were still well there and could have been could have been maybe ahead. Yeah, it was a fine line for Waterford on Saturday night. Oh, and it was it was I suppose uh, almost inexplicable how they nearly threw it away. But quite impressive. Derek McGrath said that the players drove it on between extra time and between the end of normal time and extra time, which is what a manager should probably say anyway, but it, it certainly seemed as though from the way they went in at full time, the body language, heads down, the reversal in, in mood and the fact that they blitzed them in extra time is pretty impressive. Yeah, you know, they had to win it. They just had yeah. to win extra time. You know, there were six or seven pints up for six or seven minutes to go and they just completely pulled up the handbrake, you know, they suppose got, got afraid of the finishing line, you know, which is, is disappointing for Derek, but to come out of there, and to, to perform the way they did in extra time was just unbelievable. And Jamie Barron led that, like, and he's just a player that I love him, to be honest with you, because he's just, you know I mean, he's everywhere. He does the right thing with the ball. He can score from 60, 70 yards. He can take on his man. But I suppose Derek will be happy too. You know, the tactics that he plays, and we've spoken about this in the past, you know, you have to look at the ball that Austin Gleeson played into Jamie Barron for that goal. Jamie Barron was still, he still had a lot to do when he got it. He jinked past his man. But it was an unbelievable ball by, Boston, by Austin Gleeson. And I think the Warford players knew that Kilkenny nearly had only two inside the 45-yard line. So I'd say from Derek's system and his tactics, he'd be very happy with that uh, specific goal, which 
which drove him on to win extra time. Um, you know, I think Dan was coming onto the pitch there and he was shouting five, you know, basically saying that we'll say Kilkenny have only five at the back and that and that's the way Waterford liked to get it. But at that stage Kilkenny only had two at the back and Waterford just went for the juggler. Jamie Barron took it on, but you know, it's a big psychological boost. One of Derek's goals coming in as Waterford manager would have been to beat Kilkenny in Championship Hurling, beat Tipperary in Championship Hurling and obviously win the All Ireland. So he can still um, knock those goals on their head, but he he has one of those goals achieved, and uh, I'm delighted for him. I, you know, he's put his heart and soul into the water thing, and you know, just under circumstances, Saturday night they had to win the game, and fair play to him to a man. Once they got in after a full time, they probably said we can't lose this, and they didn't. And uh, you know, but one one thing Brian Cody mentions about Kilkenny is spirit, and by God, was that there for the last ten minutes? It was amazing, but just ultimately, Waterford's fresher legs ran out. Yeah. I mean, can the like the baggage of history really be that important to these young players? I mean, there are guys playing for Watford who are a third of my dad's age, who's from Watford, and you know, like hasn't seen them beat Kilkenny since nineteen. He was eleven when they beat Kilkenny in nineteen fifty nine. Like, I, do, I, do, I, I, and understand my dad having a conniption while watching that game, but I, I'm just not entirely sure that that the Bellets should be, <laughs> you know, should be feeling that level of, you know, the weight of history on their no, shoulders. You do though. You, yeah, do, like, you do you do as a player you do you feel it because you're, these are your people and they're your parents and they're your grandparents and they're your friends and neighbours and it's that's what's probably different about the GA you know you do, well I certainly would, would think that on anyway but uh, you know that that it's like Galway now I think they're going to be conscious of it's it's easy. that's the stuff that you have to get over in your head like it doesn't have anything to do with today it doesn't have anything to do with the game you're going out to play but it's eating away at you the whole time uh, behind the scenes and, and I suppose It'll be interesting to see how Waterford react to this, the outpouring of that emotion now, because that will have will have meant so much to them. Um, and I just get the feeling about Waterford, they're, they're like a team that will thrive under her. They're so athletic and so fit. And I, I sort of questioned last week, the Brick Walsh, who I have the greatest regard for, uh, probably nearly of any GA player that, that I've seen, the way he's made a massive career for himself and the way he does his job and the way he goes about. But I did say him and, and Parik Matty to, to an extent and Kevin Moore that their legs looked a little bit in trouble, you know, that they, were, they weren't playing well. But they were, they, what, Brick was the one, was the warrior probably early that set the tone and you know, like he scored a goal. I think someone said it's his second ever championship goal. I'm not 100% sure. He might have got one. I don't and, remember the first. I don't remember the first either. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, but he got, and he had, and he obviously had a hand in, and even the past Austin Leeson for one of those points, like he just does the simple things so well. But I'm not a big man for possessions or for, for these stats, but Tide de Burke, Jamie Barron and Austin Leeson had 72 possessions between them. Now in the game of Hurling, like it, you could play an All Ireland final and get the ball. Like Michael Fenley had seven. Put put in context, the Burke had thirty two, um, but Barron twenty one at least in nineteen. They were the top three, and they're the three key men on their team. They're the three men you want to get on the ball. So I suppose when that system that Derry plays works right, like so with Dara fives in the middle of it out there as well, with the Burke winning that hard ball, he wasn't looking for loose ball. He was winning the hard ball. He was attacking the ball, but then those lads, the important players, were on the ball that often to dictate the game and that was a crucial thing Killian Buckley had 34 possessions which is monumental mm. but he ran out of steam and Jamie Barron just sidestepped him for yeah. that last goal Like he went for that first point in extra time he went around Conor Fogarty and Paul Murphy and then he sidestepped Killian Buckley you're not talking about yeah. you know these are all all I left star. him for dead like, I left him for dead yeah. and uh, it, it, it shows you so I just get the feeling with Waterford that they're going to you know, if you keep this in check, you mentioned Dan there. You know, I think Dan probably did more run than Morris on, on Saturday. He was on the pitch that often, but I think you need to keep some of that emotion in check. And you know, actually, interesting the way Derek McGrath. Sorry, on yeah. Draw against yeah. Water or against Wexford. Yeah, yeah, another big local derby. Yeah, 
And what was interesting I found on as well was that McGrath actually said that in his interview afterwards, that when he was saying that the players very much took hold of it, he actually also said that the management needed to have better body language. It needed to be more positive body language. It needed to give a more positive outlook. And, like, that's interesting as well because, like, the Dan thing... You know, you like it's you watch them nearly as much as much as you watch the game when you're at these games. You know that they like they go so. Well, see, Morris missing the free would have deflated Dan as well. You know, yeah. and he probably he'd probably want Morris to take it to score it to win it for them. Yeah. Uh, well, the free uh, liberally free, like Jesus, it would have been some to be some outcry. I'd say if if that had gone over because there was no free in my book, but uh, but uh, you know, you part they took off Park Mahoney. I'd say just to wind down the clock a little bit. And now he's gone off the team, you know. Jeez, if they had, if they'd lost it over missing that free, that that'd be a big talking point this morning. Oh, and you said that Kilkenny did have spirit, and they clearly did. They fought back. In some ways, is it even more worrying though that they they did show the fight? It wasn't one of those days that every team has that you just have an off day, you're flat, whatever it is. They actually did did show something towards the end, but they didn't have the quality. That there was it was a one man forward line with TJ Reid for the guts of the match until a few others helped him out in the last few minutes. I don't I I, I can't quite understand how Kilkenny seemed to have fallen so far so quickly. Yeah, I know. Um look, I suppose it's, it's evident enough, we'll say, you know, the results don't lie, we'll say they've lost three championship games now in the last twelve uh, twelve months, we'll say when did the last three championship games in the last maybe fifteen years I'd say before that. So there is a decline there, all right. It's just a calibre of a player. You know, but look as I said about Brian Code, if he stays on, he'll look at St. Kieran's contested four colleges finals. You know, Kilkenny, strong chance of being in the minor All-Ireland and possibly will be in the under-21 All-Ireland. So there must be players coming through. But, you know, maybe even tactically, Michael Fenley made a small difference when he went in near the edge of the square for the end of the game. I know he had passed off the ball to, to Colin Fenley to get the equaliser, but uh, it's just the confidence seems to be knocked out. And that, for me, is the thing. Um, you know, uncharacteristic errors, handle ball handling, first touch doesn't seem to be what you always associate with Kenny Hurland. And I think that's just confidence. You know, and it's like anything, Michael will tell you, when you're in your own county and you have a few defeats, and next thing a bit of negative press starts coming your way, like, these are amateur players. They're meeting their parents, meeting people, they're meeting friends, they're talking about this, that. Now it's easy say run away, but you don't like. So, you know, I suppose the vibes are not the best in Kilkenny Hurling, and you could see that maybe in their play. But you know, a few encouraging things for them. I suppose Richie Lahey came on, and you know he's he scored a point or two. So you know they have a couple of young players, but and just and Michael Fenley is not moving like he was, and he was he's crucial to to the Kilkenny. Yeah, the How game probably came. The, the game probably came too soon for Moan after last week. You know, it's like a racehorse. The bounce, you know, he had been out for so long to play such a hard match and such a monumental match he had last yeah. weekend. Look, if he had another what I said week, about the qualifiers, and Michael, you'll agree with this, it's a favourable draw. Tipperary got a favourable draw. Westmead at home, Dublin at home. Home advantage is crucial in that. Kilkenny got the toughest draw possible last week, Limerick down in, in Nolan Park. Now, that was an advantage, Nolan Park, but Limerick are physical in their own right, so came too soon, I agree with you, Mike. And, and just, I'd say on Kilkenny, like they aren't what they were, but just one player, Richie Hogan, who has been outstanding for them, right? outstanding player, he just had an off year. You know his confidence. He had the shots, but were going wide in previous games. And if you take from last year, he was scoring four and five a game. Like if Richie like Hogan, the Waterford, the drawn game against Waterford, like Richie Hogan in the second half was just insanely yeah. good. Like pulled Kilkenny yeah. back by himself. Yeah, and, and 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 here's a player who's still putting in the same effort, who's doing everything, like who gave up his job, who's did all, which is to me is is another day's work. We can mm. talk, like I wouldn't agree with that, but he's immersed himself in Kilkenny. But the, just things aren't happening for him this year. And no. you could say if he if he was playing like he was last year, Kilkenny could well have won yesterday. But mm. all his mm. the other things are just going with him. Yeah, yeah he has a serious uh, back back problem, and believe me, I went through it. There now it's. Uh, you know, it's 
it, it, it's a very tough injury. So, you know, if, if he can get right, you know, and hopefully he has six or eight months now to get that injury right, but it'll be spring and he step next season again. Michael, before I let you go, your clip from the Sunday game last night has now reached, what are we looking at here? 2,000 retweets almost. <laughs> have you uh, have you had much of a reaction? What's a retweet? <laughs> I'm only joking. Um, look, at, I, I made a point about Sky last night, I think it's well known. I... I didn't do it for a reaction. I don't do it. I I only say what I, I give my opinion on things, and it's just something that was has been eating me. I don't do much uh, Sunday game live anymore. I do mostly the Coke commentaries and that. And and it's just something that I, I have said it before. It's not that I haven't said it before, but it, it just seemed to have. It's it's as absolutely seemed to touch the nerve of the country last night. Like I'm talking about thousands and thousands. I'm not exaggerating of messages uh, from every sort of person and. You know, whether it's a story about someone that has cancer or sick who can't go to matches, whether it's young families from a money point of view, whether it's people who can't afford, whether it's a sellout from going back to our Republican days and all that, type, like all sorts of commentaries and everything else. And uh, and look, I just, I, I, when it came in first, I didn't think that much about it. You know, um, it, they said at the time it was to bring the uh, to a bigger audience in the UK. And I said, yeah, maybe that's good. But what I didn't like was the change then in uh, when it came up for a renewal this time was well, we do need the money. It was never about the money. And then there was a big campaign this time to convince us. Nicky Brennan led it to say, yeah, we, no, we do we do need this money now. But, you know, from what I can gather, the TV3 package, whatever else, wasn't, wasn't that far out. But, like, the concerts, I think they do a fantastic job. I've said this so often, Peter McKenna and his team in Crow Park, on the commercial side, that with, on the sponsorship, on the concerts, and look at the Coldplay Saturday night, whatever was at that. That's brilliant. Generate the money. Spend it where you spend it, but don't do it to the detriment of the normal J person and you know we should be, I know you can't show every match all the time and all that all these other debates have come up but it's a more general point to me it, I just don't think it's right on any level Did you not get any negative pushback people saying yeah. that this is just the way it is with yeah. sport now? Of course I did and, and, but it's overwhelmingly like which I normally when I say something <laughs> take me take it from me um, <laughs> I get plenty of shit and uh, you know and that's that's what it is it's about you're not there to please anybody really you're there to give your opinion um, but I did I got stuff about yeah, and getting paid myself and all that you know and that type of stuff like that that i'd love to give another day on that like i 40 odd years involved in the ga at every level i'm still involved and played for adult for 27 years for my club and all that and i never claimed expenses i never took a shilling i'm getting a small few bob now and believe you me Owen kelly it's not that much we get out of this media stuff is it but uh, uh we wouldn't be going we wouldn't be going to the bahamas on or anything like that but uh um you know i think somebody's going to be doing that i enjoy my work more than anything i get a few quid for it it's great but that's nothing to do with it so there's it is it has generated that and you know there are other ancillary issues out of it about people in the UK and other places watching the matches and having to pay and and I didn't say RT it's free to air I didn't care whether it was TG Cahar or TV3 they, they put on great offerings as well and it's not about the Sky production and I'm not getting into the lads on Sky JJ and, and, and Nicky and the lads are great great hurling and it's nothing to do with that it's a, it's a general um, point that it's not to me it's just not right on any level I can't see any reason why the Sky should be showing our matches Alright Michael Dyden thanks very much Owen Kelly thank you so flat. Cheers on. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown. When you've got worries, all the noise and the hurry seems to help, I know. Downtown. Just listen to the music of the traffic in Six the street. Six foot nine outside here. Rejected by Parker. Pops this shot. Nothing but net. You can't forget all your troubles. Coast to coast by the Americans. Downtown. Things will be great when you're.
that's all the GAA for today. But don't worry, Roscommon fans, we will give your achievement plenty more airtime on the World Service tomorrow. In fact, we'd like to think we gave your Connacht title bid just the shot in the arm it needed by having Kevin McStay in studio earlier in the summer. We had two big manager profile interviews in May, Kevin McStay and Keen O'Neill. We're now into the middle of July and both Roscommon and Kildare remain undefeated in the championship. Coincidence? Yes, it is a coincidence. Or something more. <laughs> no, it's or not something, something more. more. I, um, who knows? Who knows? I mean, it's a weird alchemy, you know, these uh, GA championship runs. Who are we to say what part we may or may not have played in their storming uh, uh, runs through the, the GA summer? Simon, give it to me. What was the lion's secret behind their drawn series in New Zealand? Which, by the way, is a massive achievement, even though some people retrospectively are trying to talk it down. Ah, it's just four really good countries against... One against the best country, they should be able to draw a series there. Yeah, yeah, it is a massive achievement. Like it's obvious to say it, but a team coming together with ten weeks to prepare in a sport that is essentially, you know, it's determined by how well people combine. You know, no, it's not like football or basketball where one player can score an amazing goal from thirty yards, change a game, or one basketball player has such an influence over the other four that he can dominate things. In rugby, it has to be the way things combine and there it may not look that way all the time but there are real subtleties to the combinations particularly in the back line or say in the line out um, there is complexity there and they mastered the really difficult things um, but just yeah to get onto the idea of I suppose the, the lasting impression you might have from this line because when it's a drawn series you're not too sure what way to feel about it but if you cast your mind back to the start of the tour or even a year ago or whatever it may be to think that the, any sort of European team or combination of European teams could go over to New Zealand and even win a test. I was really shocked they won a test. To draw the series is a massive achievement. You have to think about how, say after the Auckland game, how did you feel about this tour? Or even after the first test, or even when they were, what was it, eight points down in the second test. You could say the Sonny Bill Williams red card changed things, but then in the first 15 minutes of that game, the lines were looking really good anyway, and they were sort of building as the tour went on. But arguably the biggest difference it was a 10-12 choice that Farrell and Sexton came in I think A Sexton's a better out half than Farrell is Sexton was just coming into form as he came into that second test and then the combination between the two of them and it was so pronounced that the way the lines play, the change in emphasis, uh, how it impacted New Zealand, how the New Zealand defence were scrambling, the likes of Lomape just couldn't figure out who to follow, who to track when you have two decision makers in the back line like that and Luke Fitzgerald and Shane Horgan and Owen Red and all these uh, good thinkers on the game flag this in advance, if, if Gatlin did go for this option, how it might change things, it did change things to the extent that I think teams are now going to look at this and go, how can we fit in a, a ball player here in a 12? Mm. Because the idea of having a, a powerful athlete at 12, no matter how good he is, he still only gains two, three yards and then it's another rook. Compare that to you know, wraparounds and loops and, and four players potentially coming onto the ball and the defenders going, Jesus, who do I target here? Compare that to, okay, I'm going to tackle this big strong guy five times in the game. I can do that. I love doing that because I don't have to use my brain. Um, uh, the problem being, how many 12s are there who can do You, you saw me jumping in. Well, it wasn't just so many. I think you can develop 12s who can do that maybe, but you also need a 12 who can defend and Farrell mm. and Sexton did struggle a little bit in the second test not so much in the third mm. uh, maybe to a certain extent but you, you you need two ball players and you need both of those ball players to be really strong defensively so you are asking for quite a lot there yeah and Sexton is I think the best defensive 10 in the world he's he holds forwards up creates turnovers who did he smash Brody Retallick was it Jerome Con- uh, Kino Kino I mean 
it didn't look like an out half tackle in a back rower, an extremely strong back rower. So he is a freak in terms of what he does physically on top of all the mm. brainy stuff. Farrell isn't at the level of most 12s. Like Henshaw's a way better defender than Farrell, I think, at 12. He's a smarter defender. He's a more physical defender. He's more aggressive. But Henshaw now needs to look at that tour, how it went for him. I know there's an injury at the end of it, but he's got to look at how uh, Farrell sort of changed the point of attack so often. We know Henshaw has the skill to do it. I'm just picking Henshaw because he's Irish and we love him and he's a brilliant player. He's better at a lot of things than Farrell is at 12, but I think this option has to come into a lot of teams' play. For the final time this Lions series, Shane Horgan, how are things? Yeah, very good, thanks. How does the drawn series sit with you? Uh, very positive. Uh, we look at the chats that we've had uh, prior to the series and uh, right the way through, um, this could have been um, a, a disaster. It was a very, very difficult challenge. And it's one that the Lions, uh, you know, lived up to. Um, you know, before the series, I thought there was every chance that they could lose a 3-0. And they had their ups and downs. They finally got what was uh, looked like their best team out onto the pitch. Um, maybe one or two exceptions, but, you know, they're definitely only quibbling. And uh, they performed uh, They performed really well. You know, the fence was very solid. I thought as a unit in the back line, um, the 10 and 12, uh, Sex and Farrell combination worked. I would have loved to have seen that have a little bit more time. I loved, would have loved to have seen it in the first test um, because I think uh, if it had been, we, we could have, been, we could have uh, been talking about a winning series. Can we say that European players are as skillful as New Zealand players and even skill-wise not that far off? Um, I think it was interesting to see the differences in, in philosophies from um, the you know, Northern Hemisphere and Southern Hemisphere. I think what you see, particularly with uh, New Zealand backs, you think they look a little bit faster, um, although um, you know, um, Jonathan Davies might have, have a decent evidence to deny that, but they certainly do seem more explosive. Um, their game plan is more about individuals um, doing something spectacular, not amazingly spectacular, but powering through a tackle and getting um, an offload on the other side. It's very often how they uh, develop their scores or a one-on-one, separating one-on-one individual battles, getting to beating your, your, your opposite man or drawing another man and, uh, and you know, flipping a pass uh, off, through an offload. Whereas I, I saw the Lions, and indeed this is the case with a lot of Northern Hemisphere teams, certainly with Ireland in the last you know, donkey's years, has been that they work together more as a unit to try and pull the opposition um, defence out of their normal uh, positioning, make it life uncomfortable for them, and then exploit where the space is. So one seems to be more individual-based, and one more uh, as a team acting as a unit. That's not to say the New Zealanders don't play as a team, because they're all aware that they're um, they're all aware that those individuals are looking to do those things and reacting accordingly. Whereas I think the Lions are trying something a little different. I think what surprised me overall most about particularly the tests was how well the combinations worked. Say you mentioned 10, 12, even 12, 13 didn't get discussed that, that much. But Jonathan Davis and Farrell combined well. Well, Davis was just uh, brilliant individually, but also combining with others. And then also the counter-attack, how Liam Williams managed to work at Watson and the other wingers that he was with and, and 
you know, do things that you think should take months or even years for a coach and a team to gel together and, and work it out. And they did it in 10 weeks or so. Did that change your mind about what's possible that, you know, it doesn't it doesn't take this strict coaching plan? Is it just down to talent and good decision making? How did all that gel so quick as we're usually told it takes so long? No, there's two elements of it, I think. Um, is one is um, the most important thing is getting your best players onto the pitch. And, you know, I, you know with, with maybe, you know, one or two debatable decisions, uh, but they would be debatable. Aside from that, and, you know, maybe with Hogg if he was fit, aside from that, um, they had their best players out on the pitch. And when you have your best players um, who were all, you know, pretty much playing well, um, you've got a really um, great opportunity to to succeed. Then you know the second part of that is actually developing um, you know a, a culture where people feel comfortable in in, in uh, playing together, and they feel comfortable in taking chances. And there was a bravery in the way that the Lions played that you have to give extreme credit to to Gatlin. You know, I think he was he had you know, a very good group of players. He had some brilliant inter- rugby intellect, which I think shone in those players, which shone through. I think from you know, you could see Sexton, he just looks so intelligent with every single thing he does, it seems considered. Mm. Farrell is not far off as well. So you've got um and the, the, the um, aspect of culture that he that he's developed, and that he allows people to shine through, shine through to be comfortable in what they're doing, and and then I do think it's a game plan as well. I think the game plan was almost forced by um, the um, the um, the injuries that happened that allowed Sexton and Farrell to play together. Otherwise, I thought that might have ever happened. Uh, and then I think those two players um, really took a lot of responsibility on the way that the, the game was to uh, evolve because there was only one way the game could be played or, you know, there's only one way you could beat New Zealand and that was with the with 10 and 12 uh, and the, with those two players and actually those two players playing or trying to play some of the time of, of rugby that they that they got going. And when they did get going, it looked it looked fantastic and they looked as good as anything that New Zealand did in, in a different way. Um, but but certainly as as for me um, as as interesting and as beautiful as rugby has played. There's some praise in there, Shane, for Warren Gatland. You did question before the tour whether Gatland was the Lions' weakest link. Was he in fact their strongest link? Um, I don't think he was their strongest link, but um, he certainly wasn't their weakest link. And uh, you can say that now and be churlish of me to say anything otherwise, especially when I thought that. Um, that um, there was every chance that it wasn't going to be uh, a successful career uh, um, tour at all. I still have, you know, uh, um, you know, fundamental underlying concerns about the proficiency of his um, of his um, tactical game, and um, I, I think you know that showed to some degree. I think it showed. I think the plan could have been developed. I think it was before they went to New Zealand. Uh, about how they were going to play the game, I think it's it sort of evolved into to the correct way of playing, and that's why we saw the results we saw in the in the last two tests. But there was definitely um, an opportunity that, and it's shown because of how good the players were, how well they've done, and um, some of the you know skill levels they've shown that um, if the team had been you know picked and, and set out in a slightly different way earlier on, that uh, we again we may be talking about a. Um, uh, a Lions victory but 
what I think um, I may have underestimated um, is the the his ability to to bring uh, teams together in a short period of time and create a culture where people feel comfortable playing with each other, where he has appeased the entire or seems to have appeased the entire. Um, group, you know, and especially with bringing in uh, um, uh, outsiders who weren't in the original uh, touring party um, and allowing players to feel comfortable to express themselves and to be brave in their decision making. Which seems and to be the biggest thing. Maybe I think, in, Shane, uh, maybe in a lot of ways, yeah. tour, that's more important. Yeah, it seems to be. Well, certainly on the, on the evidence of this tour, it seems to be nearly the most important aspect. Maybe there are more tactically astute coaches out there, but Gatlin's strengths particularly for the Lions, particularly for maybe for the Lions in New Zealand, seem to be the strengths that were needed. Well, that seems to be, you know, we, we, I, can't, I can't take that away from him. I think that um, it doesn't work the other way around. That would be my suggestion to you, is mm. that um, you can have the most uh, tactically proficient um, coach and they could have the best game plan. They know exactly how to break down the opposition. But if you don't have the uh, the, the culture, if you don't have the enjoyment, if you don't have the uh, togetherness in place, then um, the first part doesn't really matter. That's you know, not every sport is like that. But I really think you know, rugby is, is probably one of those sports where the culture has to come first, and then um, you know, for the uh, and, and that has to be the basis for everything else. So, um, you know. I still think that the other side of things is important, uh, but maybe the the, um, the culture has to develop first, and then then the uh, the techni- the technical um, element is the sort of icing on top. And and if you can combine those two, and very very few can, uh, then you have uh, a successful you know Lions winning team, or you have a successful uh, World Cup winning side, or you know maybe have a successful Grand Slam winning uh, side as well. So they're they're the factors for the ultimate success, and that's maybe why we just didn't see uh, the Lions have that ultimate success. Shane, do you see this tour as a one-off thing, or is there a longer-term significance? Both in terms of the dent they've put in the New Zealand aura, that's in the minds of South Africa, Australia, the Northern Hemisphere teams, everybody who's going to go on to play them, but then also in the minds of New Zealanders themselves. This coming, not hot in the heels of the Lost Ireland Chicago, but you know, you do sort of put the two in the same picture now and say these guys can be beaten at home and abroad. Yeah, I think New Zealand will put the Chicago uh, game aside and they'll put that in as a freak result. And it's less um, easy to do that for um, this series because it was a proper series. It was over three games, and uh, there's no denying that uh, you know the Lions um, were you know were worthy of of the draw at least. I think um, so. I do think that sets a little. Um, uh, you know, maybe something in their minds. Um, they've ha- they've steamrolled pretty much everyone for the last um, eight years, really, and more. Two World Cups, uh, consistently winning uh, the uh, the Rugby Championship. Um, look very comfortable when they've toured the no- Northern Hemisphere. Never really been under any stress, and that was one of the few factors that you could rely on. Say previous to the New Zealand um, World Cup. Um, uh, five, I mean, six years back, you could sort of almost you could be guaranteed that they would have a, a psychological wobble. Um, after that, that seemed to be missing entirely, and they've looked so comfortable over those last six years since that, um, you know, that their second World Cup win since '87. So that maybe is back with them. Yes, 
I think uh, there's this, there's something that would give a little bit of hope to the other teams that will be playing them that they aren't these you know invincible. Um, uh, um, you know, monster men who can't, uh, who who are playing the game on a different level, and you know we can't even compete. But more importantly, I think it uh, re- in, uh, endo- it endorses what um, the type of rugby that their Lions were trying to play, which. Um, I think when they had those, the, the back line with Sexton and Farrell was a, a, a really smart, um, sophisticated uh, game plan uh, that meant that you were trying to you know, pull opposition um, out, of, out of where they're, they're comfortable and, and uh, exploit space. And uh, I think that has been a trend that's been developing in the Northern Hemisphere over the last number of years. Um, you don't have to be, uh, you know, if you bring it down just to physicality in every game, there's always a there's a there's a chance that uh, you might lose that battle. You know, there's low. I think there's there's loads of factors, or there's more factor factors that can go against you under those circumstances. But if you really think about um, the way rugby is being played, and I'm talking, you know, Connacht have done uh, a service, so have Ex- Exeter, some of the rugby that Leinster has played. Um, you know the really positive rugby that has been successful. Um, I think that's been reinforced uh, by what's gone on this tour down New Zealand. On the pitch, Shane, clearly the idea of the Lions is still a relevant one, and people were uh, slightly concerned as to whether or not that was going to be the case. But really, it's off the field where the battles are going to take place in the next few years. The corporate muscle of the Lions brand against the corporate muscle of the club owners in England. Who do you back to win that arm wrestle? Yeah, it's 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 a tricky, but it's it's going to uh, the lines is going to continue, um, that's for certain. And um, it's just too much of an economic powerhouse. It drives a lot of what the Southern Hemisphere teams do. Um, you have to remember they come up in the autumn; they don't get uh, a piece of the pie. So um, their sort of quid pro quo is the Lions tour comes down every 12 years and um, the, you know, the majority of that goes to uh, the host um, and you know, some of it is spread out amongst the other, um, um, of the other uh, teams that are traditionally toured as well. So that's, uh, that, that's needed for the de- development and continued success of the game in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, the position of, of club, club owners against unions is tricky and then you complicate it even further by the fact that um there are you know club owners in wales uh, scotland ireland uh, that um are attached to their um attached to the unions as well so there's not a there's not a um commercial um um differentiate differentiator between them so that complicates matters even further but um it is still a massive prize for um, uh, for the players themselves, and there is a now there's a you know a very positive economic uh, impact for the players who are on those tours as well, and that's not just from the tour fee, but it's from a greater exposure and, and future uh, earning potential. And so, as long as the players um, are desire uh, you know uh, desire going on the tours, as long as that happens and the and the income can continue to be generated from the Lions, which it can, um, I think you're going to see the Lions continue, if not in exactly the same format, then one that won't be that dissimilar. Shane, brilliant stuff, thank you. Thanks a million, guys. He's just a crying big baby. But you cannot call it a player, a baby. Coach! 
is the game you wanted victory, but it didn't happen. What happened? I want victory for every game. Where do you think you got it all wrong today? Coach is the game you wanted victory, but it didn't happen. What happened? Well, it's just the, the nervousness. You look frustrated on the Coach. pitch. Coach is the game you wanted victory, but it didn't happen. What happened? You wanted victory. Well, I wanted victory. Coach is the game you wanted victory, but it didn't happen. What happened? Where do you think you got it all wrong today? against them in the premiership and we never said they are baby. He's just a crying big baby and you cannot call a player a baby. I might need to explain that question about the English club owners. They're at the moment refusing to offer their players for adequate preparation time for the next tour. Gatlin's asking for a couple of weeks in advance and they're not going to make that happen. There has already been a suggestion that the clubs would like to see shorter tours as well. So even less time for teams to gel. Maybe eight games eventually so I don't know how conceivable that is and how how easily this can be worked out because to be honest I can see where the clubs are coming from you're <laughs> if I'm coaching any of those players if, I'm, if my club is paying their wages for most of the year then seeing them going around I know it's they play international rugby but this is another level again it's a full summer of it practically of your players getting bashed around the place so I can't I don't often fall on the side of the English uh Premiership clubs. I'm not sure I am just yet, but I can see where they're coming from on it. So I don't know what you think is going to happen in the future, Simon. I think uh, you see a lot of people who don't like rugby giving opinions on it, and that's perfectly normal to say this Lions thing is annoying. Some of the Sky analysis is annoying. Uh, it's definitely hyped in the way that the Ryder Cup is, say, but like full stadiums. Brilliant, really entertaining games. Like I, I thought the Lions all the, the way rugby, through as well. You know, like the provincial this, games. This yeah. is a totally different thing to the South African tour. Like the Australian tour last year or the last time, it didn't feel like a massive achievement. No, no, and I think as well that that it, if it was eight games, but with three tests and five like unbelievably high, high quality games against like really good franchises that had all of their international players. I don't know how that's. I you know I I think the the first game of this tour. Uh, and you know they they have the Maori as well. I mean, like the Maori is, is you know like the unofficial four test or whatever, so that's fine. But like the first game that they played was obviously just a money making racket, and they shouldn't yep. play that game, you know. Um, but I mean, I think you know if you played seven games, eight games, maybe that puts a an intolerable toll on you preparing teams. But I, I honestly don't think those eighty point routes that we saw in South Africa and Australia the last two tours. I don't think that helps. A Lions manager or Lions no. coach get a team together. I mean, it gives people games, but I mean, I don't think when it when it when it came down to it, anything that happened in those games, or you know, a winger goes in and runs three tries against you know who whatever Western I mean, Australia. Or, yeah, yeah, like I don't think that helps. Yeah, but if it gets if it keeps getting squeezed and squeezed, you're giving the t- like, I think Gatlin's pulled off a miracle here, really. And if you're having even less time, particularly less preparation, I think time, it's about weeks rather than games. Yeah, probably weeks yeah. rather than games. I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you if you had say eight games, yeah, but that extra time was put on top of the preparation time in advance, and you were guaranteed the two weeks that you should be guaranteed in the first place, you might have four weeks, maybe three or four weeks before heading off. Yeah, and that's that's kind like, of. I really think what it, yeah. made what made this tour was how difficult all those games were. Like all of, all of the the games against provincial sides, there wasn't any of this kicking for the corner or anything. Like all the lines tour, like it was a test match in all but name. 
Like there was no hedging of bets. There was no let's get the bench on, you know, because this game's over with twenty five minutes to go. They were all really involved uh, games. I, like that's what made it. That, like they lost a couple of games. Who cares? Ken, last word to you. Um, Would you like to see the Lions survive and thrive in four years, sign eight years, sign to every sign? On a different television channel, maybe? On a different television channel? How would that change things? Well, Sky's coverage was, well, it was a little bombastic. Uh, Will Greenwood. Yes. Yeah, I mean, there was, yes, look, you know, he's not, is he an experienced broadcaster, Will Greenwood? Yes, very much so. Is he? Yeah, he's been doing that for years. Oh, God, really? I was about to kind of let him off on the basis that he didn't know what he no, was he's doing. A particular, particular style of broadcasting, I think. So you're hedging your bets, Ken? I don't know. Look, the Lions, whatever. I didn't watch any of it. Um, <laughs> Uh, but it seemed it seemed to be pretty good for for people who are into that. So I, I don't have a problem living that live. Yeah, I think the um, actually, funnily enough, the argument we were having before we talked to Shane about uh, Sexton and Farrell. I, I, this is a weird thing that I see in rugby that it, it doesn't really happen in, or it happens in other sports. But I think other sports are more willing to accept the truth of it, which is that if Ireland have Wes Hulahan and uh, Jeff Hendrick and Harry Arter, is there, you know, or whatever, is there a way that we can get all of our most skillful players on the pitch? At the, like, if Ireland have 11 really good players, mm. let's try and devise some sort of system to ensure that the, those 11 players are all on the field. Or in Gaelic games or something. And maybe this is it, it, the, the fact that I'm talking about international football, not club football, where you can have a style and then buy players to fit in. Mm. Like, the whole idea of it is that Johnny Sexton and Owen Farrell are really good players who can pass the ball to each other and beat players that way. Mm. And for whatever reason, like I suggested that it would be complete insanity not to play Farrell and Sexton uh, you know, after the game that they played together where they were really good when Sexton came on for the last 30 minutes or whatever. And people were like, oh, well, no, you can't do that. You know, you've you got to have defensive solidity and all that. It's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, if you're writing... Like, the list of the best players that the Lions have, Sexton and Farrell would be in the top seven or eight. So the idea that you wouldn't play one of your top, probably five even, are they? Well, then what if you had loads of really great props? Should you play them at out half if they're well, no. in your top five players? <laughs> well, no. Like, within reason. Like, I'm with, sorry. You know what I mean? Like, well, being within, yeah, you are being facetious, on quite it's the Well, the, 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 uh, you know, the it, studio's pretty stuffy here. It's kind of a stuffy all day. You know, well, tempers are frayed. We're at the no end of, the there's end of a long no line. There's no need to snap at me, on. There's really no need. There's just well, no Mur- Mur's basic point that skill is undervalued in rugby is absolutely true. That's, oh, that's like, hilariously, like, to pass the ball to each other, you beat players that way, and yet that's just completely ignored nearly all of the time. That's it for today. If you don't want to wait until next Monday for the next podcast, then why not join up to the Second Captain's World Service for shows all week? If you haven't already done it, secondcaptains.com, five euro a month plus fat. We will talk to you during the week. If you're a member, if you become a member, thanks, Kent. Thanks, Owen. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks, 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 Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 